This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's poppin', beer lovers? Hey. How we doing? How we doing? We are doing good. We are currently finishing, I don't know what this cocktail is called. It's a gin and soda. No, because it's just gin and lime juice with a splash of soda. I don't know. Uh, gin, lime juice, splash of soda. It's a gimlet without um, sweetener. Yeah, without the simple. Yeah. Either way, I'm finishing it up. So I'm doing good. Yeah, sounds fun. Sounds good. I enjoy enjoy a nightly cocktail. Yeah, a, a couple cocktails in the evening is, is always a nice way to wind down. I'm actually super excited. So, like, you know this, um, but, like, and our listeners know this at this point because I'm a nerd. But um, I go through phases <laughs> where I'm just fascinated with the martini. Yeah, Clayton's and a weirdo. I'm just fascinated with the martini and i have to make the perfect martini all right be honest you shake it or you stir it no you stir a martini okay good okay there is zero reason that anyone needs to shake a martini there's no no citrus in it no okay well that's not even always why you shake but um no okay so the where people get the idea that you shake a martini is from james bond yeah that's the only place so first of all the drink that he was ordering in Casino Royale, not a martini. That's a Vesper. Different thing. Ah, uh, fair point, yeah. Different thing. Second, the specs that he gave the bartender, massive drink. It's yeah, like five yeah. ounces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was three ounces Gordon Gin. Uh, how was it? It was half. No, it was a full ounce of vodka and um, a, a full ounce of vodka, half ounce of Kino Lillet. We don't have Kino Lele anymore. Okay. Um, so we we have something. We have other things. Lele, the the brand of fortified wine, they say they haven't changed their their recipe since Kina, but mm. nobody believes them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. So that's like a five ounce cocktail. Yeah, it's not fitting in a martini glass. It's not fitting in a martini glass. A V style martini glass. Yeah, it's not fitting. Um. First, second, you drink that thing. You sloshed. Oh, yeah. You you lit. You sloshed. Third, the reason he wants it shaken, not stirred, is because it is so dry. Uh, maybe so. There is four ounces of Spirit. pure alcohol yeah. versus your fortified wine, which is going to be your sweetener. Yeah. Right? Which is going to like make it a little bit more wet. It's so dry, he wants it shaken instead of stirred because shaking it... It's going to add extra dilution. Extra dilution. Yeah. I, I don't I don't care that much about it. I, I give, have, I I have give, very formed opinions about that. I give James Bond a pass. James Bond a pass because he's a BA. Let the listener with ears understand. Um, outside of that, if you're asking for your martini to be shaken... You just don't know martinis. Well, yeah, there's just absolutely no reason. I mean, shake it if you want to shake it. It's fine. Like, nah, you're, nah, nah, no, nah, 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 nah. You're nah. entitled to your own opinion and your own taste buds, but shake it if you want to shake it. 
But I promise you, the the point of a martini and the the selling point of a martini is as cold as it can get. Yeah. And you can reach the same temperature shaking or stirring. But when you shake it, you're getting ice shards. It's not as clean. Yeah. When you stir it, you get zero ice shards and the proper amount of dilution. All right. So enough about martinis. Let's talk about some beer. (laughs) Let's talk about some beer. Oh, this one I'm very excited about. This one hits close to home for you. When I was living in Belgium. Pretentious. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this. Yeah, i just kidding. It is funny that you're wearing a black cap. <laughs> Whatever. I, I do. What's this guy, Oliver Twist? <laughs> Europe in a flat cap? <laughs> uh, I played golf in this today, too. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. Um, it, it was really just because I got up for work and didn't feel like fixing my hair, and it's sort of professional. So I put it on before I left the house. Um, anyways, when I was living overseas, this was my go-to favorite beer. If I had one beer that I had from a Belgian Trappist brewery that was just phenomenal and I could drink every day of my life, it would be this one. Yeah. The West Malle Triple. Um. Now, when he when he first got back, we couldn't get him over here. No, um, could not find them. Uh, I was at the Total Wine um, for those in the Houston area. I was at the Total Wine over in Baybrook, um, and just walking the beer aisle, and I saw that they had the West Molly Triple and the Double. Um, the double is our parents' favorite. The double, if you're anybody that's never been to Europe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually spelled double. No, I know it is. Um, it, but D-U-B-L-E. we but we met a French lady. Oh, in it, in that in that bistro. Yeah, the, the Belgian cafe. And, um, over on Houston, and she was like double. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is. So it, it's Dutch. This is no. I get it. I get it. it. Well, it's I just, Flemish more. Yeah. Than than French. No, right? I get so it. Like, You're right. I'm just like uh, everybody else calls it double. Yeah. If you don't know, Belgium is split up into two regions: the 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 more Dutch Flemish region, um, and then the French region. Um, Antwerp is like right on the line, and West Mali, the 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 Trappist brewery, the 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 monastery actually falls on the the Flemish side. Yeah. So, um, yeah, fantastic beer. Absolutely love it. Uh, as I always do, disclaimer, if you can get your hands on this beer, it is 9.5%. Ooh. Be careful. Stout. And for any of the actual beer nerds out there, you will find this interesting. This was bottled August 25th, 2020. Um, yeah, they have the bottling date stamped on the bottle. That's how cool they are. That is cool. So it's it's a it's a Trappist brew. It's a Trappist brew. So it's brewed by monks. Yep. Uh, and I will tell you, good quality beers that are true micro brews all have a similar characteristic. Is there floaties in the bottom of the bottle? Um, there can be. Um, not always, not yeah. always in the West Molly, but like yeah. I've had them where they do. 
Yeah. The, the sludge is what yep, we call that. Yep, the sludge. That's the deal. Um, okay. So I've had that beer before. It is, Clayton is correct, is very good. I am pretty stoked about the beer Clayton got me today. At, He's been good. He's been drinking other beer. I thought I would give him. Yeah, I had, what? Is, so you gave me. I gave, I got you a nut right? brown. Yeah, so you got me the magnolia, ben, and then nut sour. brown, and then you got me the sour. Clayton got me, and I've never had anything from this brewery, and I'm shocked because it's called Community Beer Co. Shout out Let's this week's talk. episode of Let's Talk. Um, and it says beer for the greater good. I guess that's their slogan. It's proudly brewed in Dallas, Texas. Yep. Um, Say the name of the beer. It's called the Medical Grade Haze. <laughs> Hazy India Pale Ale. But uh, That caught my eye, and it, I just saw a dispensary on the front of the can. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, yeah it, it, yes. does ha- it does have a cannabis flower or a hop flower on the front of it. It's funny. It, it looks but like, yeah. It, it literally has four disclaimers over here, it and it says, may cause a good time to ensue, <laughs> perfect for sharing with friends, do your part, please recycle, and don't be dumb. Please drink responsibly. <laughs> so I read everything on the can, and I just knew you would have a good time with it. Yeah, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's called a hazy India Pale Ale, the medical grade haze, uh, by Community Beer Company out of Dallas. Seven point seven percent ABV, forty IBU. Uh, really looking forward to this one. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. See, how well do I know this guy's beer taste? Yeah, you do. You do. Well, true that you could have got me anything that's IPA. And after last episode where we talked about how hops and cannabis are cousins and then to get medical grade haze. Well, and that's why I thought it was funny. Yeah, it, it is funny. Yeah. But All right. Cheers, cheers, bud. Ooh. Got some splatter on my face. Oh, that's good. Hold on, I need a minute. Yeah, I'm gonna need a minute too. I ain't mad about it. Mm. Shout out Matt Pittman at Me Church for giving me the I'm not mad about it statement, but Okay. Oh. So you That is so good. I'm glad you enjoy it. So you know those moments where, so like you ever eat something that mom used to make as a kid, that used to make us as a kid, Mm -hmm. and it just takes you back to being a kid? Yep, 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 yep. That first sip gave me chills down my spine and sent me back to sitting in, I don't know, whatever cafe I was sitting in, because they all had West Mullen. Right. Whatever cafe I was sitting in, drinking this beer, and they served it. The The West Mullen glasses were so dope. I want to find one if I can. If I ever go back to Belgium, I'm coming home with one. Yeah. Um, they serve it in a coupe. Oh. With the West Mullen logo on it. That's kind of cool. It's dope. I never had a beer served in a coupe glass. It was dope. It's kind of um, cool. And I'm, I'm, it, it took me all the way back there. And 
honestly, like, if I had to pick my favorite beer, there was only one beer I could ever drink for the rest of my life. It's probably this. Oh, really? No, I like it. I don't like it that much. If it's one, if there's one beer I could drink for the rest of my life. it's. I like the double better than the triple. Um, Oh, I don't know. This one's more hoppy to me. Oh, and then it's that one I like. Yeah, Sorry, the, the yeah. Double is it's the more it's malt, higher yeah, level yeah. bond yeah. malt, like roasted flavors. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Well, we are 13 minutes into this podcast, so and we haven't talked about the Bible once. <laughs> let's chat about the Bible. So, so what do you do with all the information that we just talked about? Yeah. So that's a good question. Not. So next week we're gonna start talking about how do you read this thing? What do I what do I do with it? But before we get there, let's answer the question we started with is what is it? Yeah. You started that episode by saying it's 66 books put together. Over written, thousands of years by multiple authors. Written by some humans. Uh, and all of that's true. Yeah. And I don't think that it's any less true at this point either. And honestly, if anything, it's more true. Um, it's absolutely true. Um, because, yeah, it's it's literally... A book, divinely inspired. Yep. Um, despite the Chicago statement, which uh, you know we probably need to make a statement on nope, this. Nope. Nope. I don't apologize for anything said in that podcast. This is what I want to say. Well, it's for you, not for us. Okay. I don't apologize for anything that I said in that episode. I apologize for how I said some things in that episode. Mm. I was very forceful. Um, and this is a statement for me, not for Cullen. Hint, hint. Pastor Cullen. Uh, uh, I said some things that were very forceful that I probably could have been a little bit nicer about. Um, but, um, I don't apologize for anything that I said. And yet, despite the, the comments in the Chicago statement, I still believe that the Bible is divinely inspired. It's just not inerrant, which means that the authors writing it have made mistakes. And as we kind of looked at on at a closer look on Monday, the author of Hebrews may have gotten something wrong. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for your apology. Thank you for following your convictions. I would like to take this moment to apologize for absolutely nothing. (laughs) 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 Just kidding. Uh, I don't really remember what I said in the podcast. If I called anything stupid, I want to apologize for that. Outside of that, I feel pretty good. Um, (laughs) He's he's a three. Yeah, Um, I I feel fine. And so he's like okay with that. Yeah, here's what I would say. Regardless of what the Chicago Statement has or has not stolen... Mm. Inspiration is not theirs. No, that's true. That's not theirs. They don't get to own inspiration. Inspiration no. was an idea that long pre-existed 1970, whatever, eight. Well, and I don't think that they're saying that they came up with the idea of inspiration. No, they're not. But but what they are saying is that in order to believe in inspiration, you must affirm inerrancy. 
Yeah, that fundamentally is just, wrong. That's just not true. I I don't like that. That's just that's a fallacious idea that yeah. that I must have one for the other. No, inspiration is the predecessor of in, inerrancy. So I can have inspiration without inerrancy. Yeah, inspiration doesn't naturally yield that I must affirm inerrancy. That's just dumb. Yeah, I didn't say stupid. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. Um. So I work with this guy, <laughs> <laughs> you're related to this guy. Uh, that's so different. That's not, <laughs> in, in that scenario, you're not my boss. In well, this that's scenario, true. That's you true. Are my that's boss. true. Fair. I do a good job apologizing to you when I need to. Yeah, but, but <laughs> you, you do in that scenario. But yeah, because that's a scenario where I need to apologize. I don't. I don't. I don't feel I need to apologize. <laughs> um. Anyways. Pressing forward, we talked about inspiration a little bit, and we talked about how we reject the idea of inerrancy, but what does that mean for the Bible? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so here's what I would tell you. This is my perspective. I'll let Clayton tell you his perspective because I'm not totally sure I know all the details of it. I know most of them, but I believe the Bible is inspired. Um but I also believe there are a lot of other things that are inspired as well. Yeah. I don't think inspiration is unique to the Bible. But because of my value of church tradition mm. and the way the church has valued the scriptures throughout tradition, what I say is that the Bible is inspired and there are lots of things that inspire, but the Bible is inspired in a way that makes it authoritative. Yes. That does not mean it's perfect, but the church throughout history has discerned the voice of the Lord and said, hey, these are my scriptures. These are the things that I want you to measure hmm. your actions and the character of my activity in the world that's the Bible. So that's what I want you to do. There are going to be lots of things that are inspired. There are lots of things that God can use to speak to us. There are lots of ways in which God has spoken. And I think if you go read the Apostolic Fathers, for instance, I mean, we didn't even talk about this in the episode we did on canonization, but the Didache, mm, mm -hmm. the Didache is literally the Greek word for teachings. Yep. And it was the teachings of the early church. And they're very instructive. You can, I'm, I'm sure you can Google them. I don't know. I have, I have the, I have a hard copy of them. I look up, but you can Google it. But you can Google the Didache and see what it is. It's very fruitful. I yeah. promise you, it's more formative for you than Jude. Yeah. I promise you, it's more formative for you than Revelation. I promise you, it's probably more f formative for you than Obadiah. I mean, there's lots of things that. Well, there's some stuff in Obadiah that's actually really good. You just well, there is, but you got to know how to read it. Yeah. Just at face value, you can read the Didache. Anybody can read the Didache because it, it's the teachings. Yeah. I don't got to sift through the minor prophet, Obadiah, sure. and where he was in the world. But you can go look up the Didache, and I promise you God's going to speak to you through the Didache. Yeah. Because it was the teachings of the apostles. Yeah. How that didn't make it into the canon is still beyond me. Yeah. I don't, like, I'm still a bit mind-boggled by that. But... That's what I would say is that there are lots of things that are inspired, 
But just because it's inspired doesn't make it inerrant. Because truth is, you know, we talk about that word inspiration. And and in the Timothy text, it says that all scripture is inspired or is God breathed. Okay. Very literal. Okay. In the very most literal sense, that word is God breathed. Clayton, where's the first time you see God breathe in the text? Um, with Adam and Eve. Oh. Or with Adam specifically. He breathes life into humans. Yep. So if we're really going to get down to it. It's down to the human writing. Inspiration is within us. Yeah. God's breath is within us. Yeah. So I get this question all the time. If the Bible's not inerrant, how, like, how do I trust it? Well, how do I trust you? Because actually the first thing God ever breathed in was you. Mm. the first thing God ever breathed in was humanity. If he breathed into the text, which I do think he did, but if he breathed into the text, it was centuries after he breathed into Adam. Oh, yeah. Humans are the first thing that contained God's breath. So you're flawed, but how can I trust you? Yeah. Same thing. The difference here is that tradition has told me, church history has told me that the Bible is set apart. The Bible is something different because of the manner in which it reveals the character of God. So so I say it's authoritative because of the tradition of the church. I, I say this all the time. To deny the history, the church history is to deny the work of the Spirit through history. Yeah. So my very first question when I come to any topic is what does the Bible say about it? My very next question is what has the church throughout history said about it? So for the question of inspiration, the Bible says that the scriptures are inspired and church tradition has said that they're inspired. But church tradition didn't say they're inerrant. Until 1960-whatever. Well, 70-whatever. Or 70-whatever, yeah. And honestly, reason tells me they're not. Yeah, so I would affirm everything that you have said thus far, um, but I want to add one more thing um, to your statement. So far, we have hit almost every piece of the quadrilateral, except experience. Mm Mm-hmm. If I'm reading something in one section of scripture, like take Ezra and Nehemiah and the mass divorce. Okay. Very strange story. Very strange story. That does not feel to me like the character of God. Agreed. That does not. Now, truth is, there the text doesn't say that that God commanded that. Right. But in this conversation about inerrancy, a lot of times that gets brought up like Mm -hmm. this happened. Right. Mm -hmm. So therefore we cannot affirm interracial marriages. Right. Okay. Um, You're just wrong. Oh my God. Um, Because no one, nowhere in the text did God say that this needed to happen Two, even if God had said this to happen or the text had said that I'm going to say that Ezra and Nehemiah, heard incorrectly yeah because that does not 
that is not my experience with the character of God. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I have trouble with, and we are very vulnerable on these podcasts, and so I'm just going to say it, um, the killing of man, woman, and child, and all the animals. Yeah. Multiple times. Yep. Um, that is mass destruction. That is genocide. Of the thing God created. Yeah. That just does not feel like my experience with God. Yeah. And so, and with the character of God. So if I read something in scripture that feels like outside of the character of God, I feel very comfortable saying, well, that person Maybe who ordered that, got that wrong, whoever ordered that mass genocide, yeah, heard incorrectly. So my only question to that would be, where do you get, you said you cross-reference everything against the character of God? Not always. Okay. But right, like if, sometimes if you it, do. it's church tradition and experience. Okay, but right, if, like, if you do, if you're, if you're looking for something and you find something in Scripture against the character of God— because I, I do that. If, yeah. I, if, I, if I'm reading scripture and I say, okay, that seems to be against the character of God, I go, okay, what is the character of God? Mm. Where do you determine the character of God? I determine the character of God mainly in two places. The first and second Adam. Mm. Creation and peace and in harmony um, and providing a way through sin and then in the second Adam no longer having to fear death yeah and finding resurrection and finding restoration yeah finding grace finding love finding wholeness and finding a way to participate in godness yeah that is how I determine the character of God. Yeah. If when I read, and because that is in both, that is in Genesis and that is in the Gospels, mm. right? That same narrative is told in both places just differently. The character of God is explained the exact same way. Mm. So you can't tell me that it's Old Testament God and New Testament God because that doesn't work. It's the same God mm-hmm. and telling the same story, the same character. Mm-hmm. So whenever I read mass genocide with Saul, mm. I say they heard wrong. Because Or Joshua. Or Joshua. Yeah. Um, because that to me does not feel like the same God that would send his son to die for the sins of an entire world that hated him. And for the the two humans in the garden, whether you think that that's literal or not, that story is still the same and is still authoritative. That rejected him. Yeah. And rejected his teaching and his command and providing grace and love and restoration. Yeah. If, if I read mass genocide, I don't feel like it is out of place for me to say, that's not in the character of God, so they just heard wrong. Hmm. 
I'm sorry that I just got real real and I got real personal there, but like, no, you're fine. You're that, fine. I asked you. That for is me, how I discern that. For me, I, I'm very given over to Carl Bart in this idea. The ultimate revelation of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Yep. The character of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. 100%. If, if I don't see it in Jesus, mm. I'm largely rejecting that it's the character of God. Didn't Jesus kind of support like a, a pacifist way of life? In well, a way? He, he really did. But, but the other thing for, for what the dilemma that you're talking about and wrestling with, with the Canaanite conquest narratives for me, even just even more like contextualized to the old Testament, it doesn't make sense to me that God is upset with the violence and corruption going on with Noah. Yeah. So he chooses to pursue restoration for his people through violence and corruption. Yeah. Um, don't, don't, don't miss. I've talked about this a lot. Don't miss the fact that Rahab spots the Israelites spies as Israelites. When we're told in Genesis 12, that the sign of the covenant, the way you'll know the covenant is through circumcision. How the flip did she know they were Israelites? If she didn't see their penises, I, I still stand behind that. Like I, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. There's violence and corruption. God's upset with it in, Gen- in Genesis six with Noah. So he chooses to enact it. Yeah. In Joshua. Yeah. How does in that Exodus? That 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 doesn't make sense at all to me. Yeah. Especially since when you get to Isaiah and Isaiah begins to prophesy of the suffering servant, yeah. the one who will bring about bring about restoration through grace and mercy. Well, like I like the whole thing doesn't make sense because the the one revelation. I am confident in is in the person of Jesus. Yeah. And the things I see in the person of Jesus are not reflected in the things recorded in the old Testament. Well, and even some places in the new Testament, because let's, let, let's go Tom, Wright. Who were the first people to proclaim the resurrection? The latest. And what All does the single latest, what does <laughs> uh, the author of first and second Timothy say about women? Yeah. It's an interesting one. That that's that's almost why that literally uh we're running late, but I still got beer left, so it's we're gonna fine. have this I, conversation. I got a lot of beer left. I we're probably about to lose video, so sorry you guys on YouTube. <laughs> oh, video's already gone. Sorry. Oh. Let's let's go to that text. You people on YouTube can open your Bibles. Interesting. Here here's something I don't understand. Okay, First Timothy two. This text here about about the ladies, and I just saw our friend and one of my mentors, Sean Palmer, post on Twitter about about this. And I thought it was funny, but it, look, I'm going to read this text to you. This is in First Timothy, chapter two, beginning verse eight. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, that the women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, not with their hair braided 
or with gold pearls or expensive clothes. Pause. (laughs) Right there. Right here in this moment, have we not seen a massive difference Mm -hmm. from how we talk about the dress code of women? Yep. It, what, 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 what about the Sunday best, though, Paul? He like, literally <laughs> just said, also that the women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, comma, dependent claws, not with their hair braided. Mm. If you saw a girl with her hair braided, you'd be like, that's very modest. Mm-hmm. You're taking care of yourself. Thank you. Or with gold pearls. Mm-hmm. or gold or pearls you'd be like okay i see nothing wrong with this that's just fine mighty fine or expensive clothes if you're paying all your bills what do i care what you spend on your clothes yeah who the flip cares yeah already a massive difference in what this text is saying well but yeah. then it says but with good works hold on as is proper for women who profess reverence for god here we go here's the big one let a woman learn in silence with full submission i permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man Jesus already said that that is nonsense. Wait, 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 wait. I'm pulling out my Eli here. (laughs) She's to keep silent. And here's his argument. Verse 13 14. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That that is the scarecrow from uh, the Wizard of Oz. That is a straw man argument. No, <laughs> oh. forget straw man or fallacious or not. Is that even a good argument? No Paul's argument is literally that Adam's older. Well, the the author of, of Timothy, because earlier, well, it still says Paul. It, like, it says Paul. I'm not like, always going to make that caveat. No, but like. Um, I am because earlier in, in other letters, Paul says that Adam was the one who sinned first, Romans. not Eve. Yeah, but but he literally says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. That's the most garbage argument of all time. Are because we literally- Adam is older, like that makes him more wise? Like, are you yeah, kidding me? And, and then his second argument is Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Adam was also deceived. Yeah, and according to Paul and other letters- he was actually the one that sinned first, not Eve. Yes. So I'm sorry. That is just not a good argument. And it, it is in direct contradiction to other things that Paul has written, whether or not Paul has written that, whatever. Um, it is in direct contradiction to other things that he has written. And I'm sorry. There is no way to synthesize those because they There's are not. Yeah, they, they are black trying. and white. Yeah. That. Because you didn't, right there, you didn't even talk about First Corinthians eleven. No, I didn't. So, in First Corinthians eleven, the question is: Can women prophesy and pray in church? It's literally just whether or not they should do with their heads covered or uncovered. Yeah, the question is not can they. The question is in what manner should they? And the Paul says, is, "Cover your head." Yeah. 
Paul as said, was a, culture as culture. It's it's a a sexual thing for a woman to have her hair down. Put your hair up. Cover your head. It's not a big deal. But then here's the thing that I think is so funny that that everybody seems to miss. First Corinthians eleven. We're getting very yeah. I am again. once again. I haven't called anybody stupid, so I don't care. <laughs> First Corinthians 11, the question is, can they pray or prophesy? Mm. When you go to first Corinthians 14 and you look at what prophecy is in first Corinthians 14, when Paul's detailing out, it's preaching. It's modern day preaching. Yeah. So I won't say what I want to say, but uh, get off your high horse, bro. Um, and he means bro as in the male that is keeping women from yep. teaching in church. Hands down. Um, if you have male genitalia, you really need to stop trying to force women down. I'm sorry. Stop. I'm just going to say it. Stop I'm, telling women. I'm just going to say it. We just proved hey, you incorrect. We're going to do the whole summer on this. I'm sorry. Like, I'm let's get back to points. the Bible part. <laughs> the reason I bring all that up is because this is another example where the Bible is not clear. Yeah. And And the reason I bring this up is because I would tell you, if, if someone were going to put a gun to my head and make me give a theological statement on the Bible, I would say that it's the inspired, authoritative record of God's revelation. That yeah. That's exactly how I would word that. Yeah. That it records God's revelation, that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that it's the authoritative doctrine or documents through which we govern our faith. That's what the Bible is to me. But then there are moments where I come to these where I'm like, these are now in contradiction. Yeah. So what do I do with this? When this moment, I go to Jesus. Mm. And who were the first preachers of the resurrection? Women. What did you, what position did Jesus let Mary, the sister of Martha, take when Martha gets upset? The position of a disciple. Mm. The position of someone that's historically reserved for men. Yeah. That she sat at the feet of Jesus listening to his teachings. Yeah. Where do I go for this? That Mary and Martha and some of these other women, as told by Luke, funded Jesus' ministry. I go to the place where I see that the character of God is at work through people of God, mm. regardless of gender. Yeah. That's the character of God. You want to know how to decide if something's authoritative? Well, question number one is, is it in the Bible? Question number two is, does it equally reflect the character of God revealed to us in Jesus? If the answer is no, then I'm going, what does Jesus have to say about that? So I do want to say one thing real quick. For our Eastern listeners, this kind of applies to you. Um, it really more applies to our um, American listeners. Um, this is also shown in political party as well. Mm. Whatever side of the political spectrum that you are on, does the other side have any characteristic 
that shows the character of God. Mm. Is there any part of the Bible that you can point to and say, yeah, no, the other side is right? Yeah. There is. I'm not going to tell you my political position. I'm not going to tell you mine. But I promise you, no matter which side you're on, we've done it. We've done this on Let's Talk. Yeah, go back and you're going to find Bible verses for each side. Yeah, Um, you have to realize one that we're all reading the Bible. Yeah. Two that if you can identify yourself as a Christian. No matter gender, race, uh, sexual orientation, gender orientation, um, political party, yeah. we are unified in the body of Christ. Whatever that means for you, you can roast me, whatever, say what you want to say. DM me if you got problems. I, I will I will have the conversation with you. Um, but whatever that stance is, if we can be unified in the fact the Bible is authoritative and that Jesus is Lord, we good. Yeah, and that's the point that I would want everybody to know because next week we're going to start a series on what do you do with this? How do you how do you do this? And what what we're going to be talking about is called narrative theology. But if you believe the Bible's inspired and inerrant, and I believe the Bible's inspired and authoritative, we're saying the same thing without saying the same thing. Absolutely. Stop fighting over crap we don't have to fight about. That's right. If I'm saying it's authoritative, I agree with you that it's the foundation of our faith. I'm taking care of the dilemma that the Chicago statement was so afraid of. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to word it, but I'm not, I'm not succumbing to the hermeneutical jump rope that I have to play in order to try to fit some of these texts together. Because let's be honest, some of the jumps that people make to like try to synthesize these texts. So outlandish. I'm how in the world I'm sorry. Like I'm trying not to get too eccentric about this, but there are just some times that that people will say things to like try to make sense of, I don't know. Um, what, what was an example that we've used women, um, Women, alcohol, whatever, the divorce. I mean, take your pick. They Any. they fabricate cultural scenarios, and when I say fabricate, I mean totally fabricate. Yeah, um, they kinda. they fabricate cultural scenarios to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, culture is important in in the scenario that that Paul is writing to, but sometimes they're just wrong about the culture. Yeah. Um. The interpreters, not the writers. Right, the interpreters. Sometimes they're just wrong about the culture. They just don't know what they're talking about. Yep. Um, and and I, and this is where we come back to what we were talking about on Let's Talk this past week. Um, people use organized religion and, and these sorts of things to push their own agendas. Mm-hmm. P- 
people will read the Bible and read into it what they want and push their own agendas and say what they want to say, oppress certain people, do whatever, and they're praised for it. They're paid for it. And lots of them paid good money for it. Um, I will just never be okay with that. Um, and, and, and they use this, this, this narrative, this narrative of inspiration and inerrancy to say that and to say that that's okay. And so for me, the issue of inerrancy honestly kind of comes back to a social justice issue. And I, I'm just, I'm not there. Just not there. I'm not where you are, but I, I feel very strongly about this. If you can't tell, I'm pretty against the idea only because for me, I feel like it's really a pointless. It's a pointless doctrine. Yeah, it kind of is. Because it hinges on the fact that the original autographs. So the the actual scribe of Paul were without error. Well, cool, but we don't have those or anything close to those. We we only have copies. So for me, it's a pointless doctrine that gives people some kind of sense of false hope. Because even if you go ask hardcore inheritists, hey, does the Bible I hold today have errors? A lot of them are going to say yes. Yeah, they're going to say, oh, well, the NIV has these certain errors. Well, no, they're not even going to say that. They're going to say, well, inerrancy only only is dictated upon the autographs. But nobody talks about that. And so when people pick up the Bible, they think the one they have in their hand is without error. It's a misleading doctrine that is really harmful to a lot of people because then they begin to read it and they go, wait, not a lot of this makes sense. And instead of owning it and saying, well, here's what we actually mean by that. We do this hermeneutical jump rope. So that's why here at Wellhouse, we say the Bible is the inspired word of God and the authoritative record of the revelation of God and the character of God through history and ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus Christ.